If you're willing to pay a half a million dollars to come to the U.S. Nobody expects the dismal science! Welcome to another exciting episode of Nobody Expects the Dismal Science. I'm George. And I'm barely aware of anything that's happening right now other than football, but also happens to be named Wyatt. Well, we've been away for three weeks, so there's uh, quite a bit to get caught up on. There's like some old British lady died or something. Uh, That's true, as far as I know. Yeah, I don't really pay attention to what's happening across the pond. Uh, I mean, no reason to. They all talk funny anyway. Um, so, uh, I want to start quickly on abortion and then leave it. Um, so, Graham introduced a bill to ban all abortions after 15 weeks. You can, uh, states could enact abortions that are earlier than that, but none that are later. Um, obviously, you know, that's not quite in good faith. Um, <laughs> um, what we were talking about before, uh, as far as compromise was make it legal up to 15 weeks. Um, and maybe not legal after, I don't know, but you know, th- there could have been a compromise somewhere in there, but, uh, that's not where they're going. Um, and there, there is what I wanted to talk about a little bit was there is going to maybe be a decision between do blue states. Cause right now it's left up to the states. Do blue states, are they going to be willing to trade some of their late-term abortion access in order to give some red states early abortion access? Because that's that's kind of the question is, do you get a situation where a bill is proposed that's maybe uh, 15 weeks on the low end and 20 weeks on the high end, and it has to be within that range? And then, uh, so that means the blue states, they can't have abortions in the late third trimester, and the red states can't cut it off very early. Um, is there a compromise like that that might come? Um, obviously, this wasn't a compromise bill, but I, I just wanted to uh, bring it up because it, it came up. Well, I think um, this is kind of just the sort of nonsense you're going to see, um, especially if legislators aren't going to legislate on the dem side while they have some power because what 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 are, what are the odds right now in 538 that they lose the house like 70 some percent yeah not good not good um republicans i think are doing like a lot of just moral grandstanding on this oh yeah I, I, absolutely i mean honestly he got a lot of pushback because uh, a ton of the republicans were like no we're not we're not doing anything we're not giving them anything like we're, uh, we we left it up to the states. That was the whole, the plan was leave it up to the states. We got it left up to the states. We're not going to change that. Um, so we'll see this. Yeah. I saw in Arizona too, that they like use some century old law to effectively prohibit abortion. Right. I, that there's a risk of that in Michigan. Yeah. Less so considering that it looks like Dems are basically going to control at least some branches of the government, but it is a very real for, for now, but it's yeah. a non-trivial possibility. Yeah. Um, next we can knock this one out. Uh, immigration. I don't know if you've heard of the, the fun stunt that DeSantis pulled. It was, yeah, exciting. He shipped a bunch of immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, it's pretty great. So he spent, uh, he had like $20 million of COVID funds that were earmarked for do whatever the fuck you want. So what he did was he didn't have any, uh, immigrants that he didn't want. So what he did was he went to Texas and he picked up some Venezuelan refugees. Now, these are legal immigrants. They are uh, currently under asylum and uh, loaded them onto a jet, had the jet flown to Florida, touch down and then fly off again to land on Martha's Vineyard 
and then drop those 50 migrants off at Martha's Vineyard. Of course, not telling anyone, just, you know, dropping them off there. So um, that's a great way to spend taxpayer money in case you are wondering if he's a good steward of it. Yeah, you know, when I think of uh, fiscal conservatism, I think of uh, picking up legal refugees from Texas and then shipping them to the home state and then dumping them on, to, you know, to own the libs. Yeah, um, it was great. Um, honestly, everything that I've heard, not everything, I've heard some conflicting reports, but um, from what I've seen, uh, Martha's Vineyard was was some quite accommodating. There was a lot of... Uh, uh, groups trying to get them food and shelter and stuff, but they didn't stay there very long. They were shipped out basically by military transport to uh, um, Boston afterwards. Um, yeah, because they don't have. Facilities I know. There. It's a little. It's a. It's a little island, you know. It's um and and during the winter, it's basically closed, anyways. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it's it's idiotic. What it does point to uh, on a bigger scale. Um, so Abbott's been doing this for a while, shipping them to D.C. Um, it'd be nice if he told someone when he did it. That way they could coordinate, but that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, causing hell. But it is true that places like Texas, you know, they get uh, literally, you know, millions of of immigrants, um, often illegal, coming across the border. And so those border cities and towns have to, to absorb those without warning um, all the time. And they don't exactly get resources or get things highlighted about you know, how, how much of a process it is to deal with that. Um, you know, we're a big country as a country, we can easily absorb millions of, of refugees. It's like literally not, not even a big, a big issue. Um, if you look at percentage of population, we're incredibly low now compared to where we were a hundred years ago. Um, and so, uh, but that's not, you know, immigration doesn't come in uh, uniformly across the country, it comes in, you know, in small pockets and in generally smaller towns. So I do want to, I, I hope that, you know, besides owning the libs, whatever, it's really stupid and annoying and a waste of money and time. Um, I, I would like, you know, to have a little bit of reflection in um, ways that we could, you know, positively solve this um, and, and, you know, uh, you know, create more opportunities while uh, taking some of the burden off from, you know, the, the border states and border um, areas that, that may not have the resources to deal with this. I mean, if you can get a lot of those refugees, you know, up to Michigan, up to, you know, Minnesota, you know, up to, you know, some of these northern states where, honestly, there's a work shortage problem, you know, uh, where they could do a lot of good um, and where there might be resources and housing available for them. Like this is a real problem too. Like the the actual amount of border arrests this year have gone through the roof because the amount of people crossing um, in this post COVID world have gone through the roof too. So like last year was already a record with 1.7 million people arrested. This year, I just looked it up. Um, we're at 2.3 million arrests. And the year's not over. And the year's not over. Exactly. Um, I, although I guess these are based on the fiscal year. So this actually, it is almost over. Oh, okay, okay. It only but goes still. through September 30th. But yeah, no, like your last year was already a record at 1.7 million. And you're like almost a third higher than that. Yeah. Um, I mean, meanwhile, we've got record low legal immigration. Um, the, the refugees uh, number has not been put up nearly high enough, given that there's a, several massive wars going on. Um, 
uh, lots of displacements. Um, and, you know, H1Bs need to be brought way up. Uh, speaking of that, H1Js, oh my gosh, uh, H1J, basically the ones that they pay for, it's so stupid to me that there's a limit on the amount of people who can pay to get a visa. They're, they're, they're paying $500,000 uh, worth of investments to, to get, uh, you know, just um, not citizenship, just um, just residency status. And those those are always sold out within hours of them being opened up on January 1st every year. There's only like 10,000 of them available. And that's, yeah. that's nuts. If you're willing to pay a half a million dollars to come to the U.S., fucking give them open, like, let's get as many as we can. Like, we use the money. <laughs> Shit. This reminds me of a, of a graphic I saw that was like uh, showing the immigrant, like, self-reported, um, like, they listed the countries that they found most desirable to immigrate to. And I was looking at the chart and I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Like UK, Canada, you, you see them all going up with more, more people saying, I'm like, where, where's the US in this chart? And I didn't realize that um, it took me a few moments that this chart was, uh, the US basically broke it because we were so far up in the yeah. upper right quadrant. Like you can even yeah. see us because of how many people want to come here. But that, that's the thing. Like, we have plenty of space for these people. Um, I'm I'm not like super and, uh, and unemployment's insanely low. They like we need we need people for jobs. We want to bring a, inflation down. That's what we need. Amount, yeah, we have record amounts of vacancies. We have so much demand for these people to come here, which is in part why they are coming here too. Um, a lot of them are escaping communist hellholes like Venezuela well, and yeah. Cuba. Um, you know, let them in. What better way, as much as we like to own the libs by shipping them to Martha's Vineyard, how about we own the commies and... Yeah, there we go. Yeah, like as, as many of them as, as we can. That's that's what and I want. That's a thing that's not brought up. I, it's annoying to me, but uh, the most Republican Republicans to ever republic are people who came from former communist states. But they did it legally, George. <laughs> Uh, well, because it was legal for wet foot, dry foot. It was like, literally, if you could outrun the fucking Coast Guard swimming, then, then yes, you're a legal citizen now. <laughs> Marco Rubio's parents waited in line just like everyone else. For the record, they, there was no line to wait when the Cubans, when Marco Rubio's parents got here. Um, yeah, it's... I wish I was more researched onto this right at the moment. Um, but it... I think it's it's embarrassing how much the Biden administration is dragging its feet on kind of unfucking all this paperwork because not, not even just what we mentioned, but there's so many backlogs on just about every single different type of immigration visa. And, yep. you know, um, it's making the U.S. a lot less attractive for uh, high-skilled immigrants. Uh, no kidding. There's a, there's a lot of people fleeing Russia right now, uh, you know, PhDs, people who have worked in the U.S. for a long time who, you know, would would love to, you know, come here, stay here. And I'd love to brain drain Russia right now. I would like to brain drain anywhere. But, you know, why why come to the United States with an uncertain future if you can, like, go to Canada with much more certainty? Yeah. I mean, I don't get why we let any of the Chinese go back after they get a master's degree here. It's pretty wild that we let anyone from like any country come to the U.S., get educated here. A lot of them develop like close to uh, native level fluency or, or like more than capable enough professional ability. 
Um, you know, they pump a lot of uh, money into the country and their time living here. I, I mean, you mentioned like the one specific type of visa, um, but they come here and develop all sorts of networks and human capital. And then we kick them to the can and say, okay, go back home. We don't want you. Yeah, no kidding. That's great. So, <laughs> yeah, great's one word to describe it. So inflation, uh, it keeps on uh, ticking. Yeah, I, I saw the report that core inflation is still like disturbingly high. Yeah, it's up, uh, what, six point something, one or three or something like that. So it's it's still going up. Um, gas prices are, are up a little bit in Michigan. Um, but they're down a lot over like the past month. Still. I mean, kind of. They're up a little over four dollars right now, which is yeah higher than we'd like. Um, I mean, it's a process. I mean, Jay Powell said, you know, we're going to do it till it hurts. So I assume, you know, it's going to hurt because, uh, yeah, I don't think he's fucking around. Um, yeah, they, they raised the interest rates by 0.75% again. again. Yeah. Um, and this is, you know, what we were talking about with Credible. You know, the so if you want to, if you can convince everyone that they're, you're not going to inflate the money supply and then you do it anyways... You can get, you can goose just a little bit of growth. You know, uh, it's unpredicted money growth that actually, uh, you know, does does stuff for growth. This is part of what happened actually during the pandemic is we had unpredicted money growth. Um, nobody was expecting inflation, but we got it anyways because wonderful stimulus. Um, but the credibility of the Fed, the Fed basically saying, no, the money growth is over, like, period, done. And, uh, you know, having that credibility to where he's not going to try to goose it because when, when it gets goosed, yeah, you get a little bit of growth, but everybody loses from it because it's basically the, the, the government stealing money through inflation. When it's predicted inflation, it's not actually stealing money because the interest rate uh, properly reflects the inflation rate. Uh, and that's just built into the system, the, the risk-free rate. Um, that's a, one thing that's uh, often confusing. People think you're losing savings because of inflation. That's not really the case. The inflation rate will almost always be, I mean, the interest rate will will always incorporate the inflation, the expected inflation rate. That's what the risk-free rate is. Um, so there's, I mean, as long as your money's not like hidden under a pillow, there's nothing really being lost by inflation. Um, but yeah, uh, the, I, I, Jay Powell is just putting on, you know, his complete Volcker mask and going, you know, it's, the, the inflation's going to come down one way or another. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, there's there's some predicting of soft landing. I don't think he's predicting a soft landing. I think he's he's thinking this is going to hurt, and we got to do it anyway. I'm trying to find... I saw something interesting about this that I don't remember what it was. I'm trying to see if I can find it in my history. <laughs> oh, I remember. Do you know the absolute best way to fight inflation, George? Um... I'm I'm waiting. Go ahead. Did you see that California announced that they're sending out ten billion dollars in inflation relief payments? Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's how you should do it. You see, when people have more money, don't have enough money, you give them more money, and then they spend more money, and then all the prices go up. Um, and so you need to send them more money. Oh wait, this is how hyperinflation happens. I just I just figured it out. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, um, I I feel like uh, there's a lot of uh, progressive uh, i don't know what to call it um delusion that inflation is caused by things other than they're mostly money. being too much money circulating in in the system 
No, it's greedy and, corporations. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the corporate greed index. It's amazing how less greedy gas companies became after the huge greed spike lately. Um, but yeah, if you like this, like obviously $10 billion, that's going to be a pretty trivial amount, especially since thankfully California isn't the only one in charge of uh, the dollar monetary policy. Um, yeah, but prices aren't that high in California, so this shouldn't be a big issue. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, it, it is basically the case that when a state like that decides to fight inflation in this way, then it's really... Not fighting inflation. It's, it's fighting it's fighting a fire with gasoline. Yeah, exactly. And really, it's like the rest of America that's, that's paying a bit of a premium, like, you know, concentrated benefits to Californians. Yeah, they have more money circulating. Everybody else, we also have to deal with their inflation from that money circulating. Good times. If anything, if California wanted to be generous, they should have a deflationary policy where they send everybody else $10 billion, right? Like I think Silicon Valley can probably afford it anyway. I find it hilarious that people think that the housing market's going to continue to grow in California. The, yeah, like California for... Like a, a, a two-bedroom house is like, you know, $3 million, but it's probably going to be like $10 million in the next five years, right? I saw I saw something crazy, like some some absolutely insane stat that was like just the city of Houston issued more housing permits than like the entire state of California did. And maybe it was all of last year or maybe it was several years. But it, either way, it was ridiculous that just one oh, yeah. very specific part of Texas. And that's why, you know, California is the it's becoming like the increasingly most unequal place in the U.S. because Poor people can't live there, and there's all these super tech, um, you, you know, very high, highly productive uh, places where it is beneficial to like move there to, to San Francisco or, or you know, in Silicon Valley area. Um, if you can, eat burgers too. Yeah, like if, if you can cut, if you have the ability to afford to live in like one of those centers of wealth and innovation, and can capture like a slice of that dynamism that's great you're probably going to make a lot of money um a lot more money and, and your kids are going to be great too yeah but all that money is going to go to your landlord because you know, <laughs> and that's yeah. the thing they complain about landlords all the fucking time but they literally built the system that way but they're also effectively kicking all the poor people out of the state yeah. because they're refusing to build housing for them yep yeah i wanted i, I wanted to take a peek here too at just how bad the core inflation has gotten it, it rose about another Headline inflation only increased 0.1%, which is, you know, it's, that's fine. That's acceptable. But core inflation up again 0.6% over the previous yeah. month. Like, that's yeah. that's dangerous. Like, the only thing really holding that back and why we're seeing these increasing um, interest rate hikes from the Fed is just, it like, things. If it wasn't for the fact, like, if energy starts creeping up again for whatever reason then, oh my God, we're going to be at double-digit inflation again. Well, we're going into winter, and that's what happens. Like, everybody turns their heat on, and shit gets expensive again. Well, I, for one, am just going to sit in the cold. Speaking of sitting in the cold, um, uh, Russia's going to send another 300,000 or maybe a million people to Ukraine. And I'm sure they're all volunteers uh, and and loyal Russians who want to do this uh, fighting on behalf of um, you know, to fight the Nazis, the, the, the denazification effort. 
Well, I heard that uh, if you were arrested at a protest, then you immediately get your draft papers. They were also drafted a guy who was 63, so that was nice. I mean, that's that's the sort of uh, reason why you, you see them making all this ground in Ukraine lately. Nothing quite uh, beats an army made up of... Uh, dissidents? Know, <laughs> dissidents and 63-year-olds. Yeah, and right now they're doing the referendums to uh, basically annex the Donbass and, um, you know, different regions, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Zaporizhia. Um, so that'll be great. I'm sure, you know, it's going to come in, you know, uh, 99.8% and they'll round up and execute the 10 people who found a way to check the other box. The free and fair election, unlike yeah. the U.S. where, you know, all the elections are rigged. <laughs> For real. It's, uh, this, this reminds me of... Uh... Well, I don't have any of it in front of me, but there's been some really interesting stuff from the Libertarian National Party about Ukraine lately. Oh, oh, great. You mean the nationalist, colonialist empire of Ukraine that's, you know, um, reverse invading Russia right now? They goaded them into this war and, you know, coaxed them in with candy and cocaine. No, what's annoying? You did have a real banger tweet the other day that was imagine supporting Taiwan's right to national divorce, but not ours. Oh my god. Oh jeez, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah, just just for the record, like uh Taiwan hasn't been a part of uh mainland China basically ever relatively. Yeah, it's really close to ever. Um like you can make a historical case for it um hundred years ago when nobody really lived there, but the really unique and interesting thing about Taiwan is it kind of has grown organically and pseudo-independently from anywhere um, because of its history of colonization by the Chinese, but also the Japanese. And then uh, the Kuomintang retreated there in, in the 40s and it has a very unique and interesting Taiwanese identity uh, there's not really much to divorce it from because uh, China just doesn't control it on anything uh, except for like legal fictions because they'll get super upset if, if uh, you start calling it what it is, which is a fully functioning, fully independent country. I mean, outside of North and South Korea, there are not many borders that close with uh, uh, government systems that are that diametrically different. But yeah, so the big issue is Russia is going to hold these referendums and then they're going to claim that, you know, Kyrgyzstan and Zaporizhia and Donbass and all that are uh, sovereign Russian territory now. And then they're going to threaten any attacks against that region uh, they can defend with nukes. So happy days for everybody. Yay. I love the Russians. They're so good at preserving independence and freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how this ends. It seems like, you know, either. Putin could like come to his sentences, pull out, cut his losses, and call it a day. Or Putin could lose, or Putin could die, or Putin could escalate and cause a massive greater war, or Putin could double escalate and kill everyone on the planet. Like, there's so many options, and um, they they range from unlikely to unlikely and also catastrophic. <laughs> you know, there was um. I kind of want to circle back a little bit because I just wanted to make sure that I found the exact tweet. But Angelic McCardle, who do you know who that is? Um, sounds familiar, but go go ahead. She's more, she's like one of the Mises people who's now. Um, I, I think she 
her, her Twitter handle says she's the Libertarian National Committee chair now, I guess. So cool. Um, cool. But she, she sent out a little tweet that was, why do you think Americans are more sympathetic to Ukrainians than they are to the people of Yemen? Both are enduring terrible suffering due to war. Iranians are revolting right now. There's a lot going around in the world. Are Americans just more sympathetic to other Westerners? Um, so this isn't the most horrendous tweet I've seen, but uh, maybe it's just the fact that Ukraine, not only is it Western, but it is also like really a democracy. And a lot of people have, you know, um, cultural and familial ties to it, much more so than Yemen, which is not a democracy. And it was not invaded by an like imperial autocratic power. Um, I mean, it was. And what, Yemen? I mean, yeah, it's it, by Saudi Arabia. I mean, I, 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 mean, would, I would define I it as imperial and autocratic. It's basically being split in between a proxy war between two countries, right? I mean, it's true. It's 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 it is a mess. But the the funniest thing about this is, uh, to me, is I don't like the. And I care a lot about Yemen, and I would love for tons of Yemen refugees to 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 come to the U.S. The difference between Yemen and the Ukraine is that when this war ends, Ukraine will be fine. Like people could live there, go back. Uh, the it's got you know the the bones of a stable system that could perpetuate you know peace and prosperity greatly into the future. Yemen, there there's nothing like that. It's just just like Syria. You know, if if you got rid of Bashir Assad right now, uh, it's not like Syria would be peaceful. It would just be a power vacuum, and you know there there's no there's no bones there to work with. Like it's just you know waiting to become Somalia from you know what it is now. Um, so it's not. Uh, it's harder to see what to do there because there's no institutions that exist that you can actually rally around. So McCardle's quotes about this too, I have a couple Libertarian Party quotes um, that help frame the context that are all from the past month or so. So here's one from the Libertarian Party National. Democracy has nothing to do with liberty, just as so many of the world's greatest minds have warned. Um and it has like a Hans Hermann Kolb quote about how democracy allows for A and B to band together to rip off C. This is not justice, but moral outrage. Okay, yeah, I guess that's technically true. Um, I, I mean, we can vent about like our complaints about democracy and stuff too. It's hardly like a perfect system, but yeah, but that's that's nuance and exactly. You, know, you don't have to go very what? far for these guys to suddenly see like, oh, this guy complaining about democracy, Hans Hermann Kolb, his his uh. His ideal form of government is maybe like a monarchy. It's like I mean, it's totally ludicrous. Yeah, every every modern democracy is basically peaceful and well behaved, and you know has you know rights and and economic growth and and general freedom. Um, you would want to live in almost any modern democracy versus you know, and I know they're republics. They're you know, it's comp you want to argue semantics about verbiage, but uh, you know, what are the alternatives? You know. You know, authoritarian, top-down control, control from a small group, you know, um, communism, socialism, like there's no, there's no, you know, until we get some AI that uh, administers utopia from on high, uh, I I don't think that there's a great system that's really going to replace it. So, um, you know, you well, can keep on bitching about it, but here's, like, the best here's we a, got. Here, speaking of communism, here's a quote from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus, also from like a month ago. Democracy is mob rule, a soft variant of communism that has nothing to do with freedom. 
We want as many radical abolitionists as possible. We won't get more by appealing to quizzing reformer sensibilities. What? So this is the thing, right? Like, okay, democracy is communism. Like, no, it's not communism. It's a soft it's variant. Worse. Oh, a soft variant. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh my god. Like <laughs> this, this is, is just so hilarious. Like you can you can have like nuanced takes. Like I totally get um like Garrett Jones is who's an economist. Uh, he has a point. Like I, I like his book. It's like ten percent less democracy. I think he's basically right on most of the points of that book. That there there is too much that is subject to. Um, effectively mob rule or change or like there's some things like a lot of the zoning laws we've even been complaining about in in this uh episode like a lot of those are because that's what the locals want they don't want to promote this dynamism and anything they want to lock out um new entrants into their neighborhoods or whatever like democracy is hardly perfect but to call it mob rule and and uh I mean, I guess that's worse. But also, model, but a soft variant of communism—it's it's ridiculous. But he's also he's also conflating things because he's saying democracy, mob rule, which you know there isn't a place that's an actual direct democracy. So he's not taught what he's talking about are liberal democracies like you know most of Europe and the United States and Canada, um, and he's calling those direct democracies and pointing out the flaws of direct democracies. While I mean, it's bu just building a straw man, like we we don't live in a direct democracy. This isn't Athens two thousand fucking years ago. Um, they're they're you know complaining about these things that don't they don't exist here. Like uh, modern liberal democracies are very complicated. Yes, there's tons of faults with them, and I'd love to to make some um you know uh, uh improvements around the edges. But you know saying you know this is you know, what killed Socrates with fucking stones versus, you know, it's not, it's not how things work. We have civil rights here. We have, you know, a, a long built tradition, you know, in common law of, of things that protect us against mob rule and to pretend like, you know, that's, that doesn't exist and just, you know, hurl that. I mean, it's, it's both dishonest and it's, it's literally just, you know, riling up the rubes in your base that don't fucking think hard about things. Yeah, and this is why, too, like, we're still talking about the LP and, like, all this internal drama, because we do care. Um, but, like, I, I don't have the figures in front of me, but I did see, I think it was Andy Craig, some someone who was, who was more prominent with the Libertarian Party directly pointing out that, like, their donations are way, way, way down, which, of course, they would, because when you're, like, out here edgelording 24-7, um, nobody... Uh, well, I guess you only really attract other edgelords to the cause. It turns out they don't have that much money. They don't have that much money. Yeah, and they're all kind of schmucks too. So, yeah. Um, no, I I want freedom. What they don't understand is how good we have it and how they could fuck it up. And they don't seem to care. Um, I want to make things marginally better, not burn the fucking house down just to fucking prove a point while you're standing in it. Look how edgy <laughs> I am. Yeah, that's that's very soft variant communism of you. So, uh, besides sports, what have you done this week? Uh, sports? <laughs> oh, good times. More sports? You want to talk about um, briefly how Mel Tucker is being paid on a fully guaranteed 10-year, $95 million contract and has had back-to-back -back blowout losses at home and on the road in, against uh, – Maybe maybe good teams. I guess both Minnesota and Washington are are undefeated at the moment. But 
not a good look to uh, to to uh, be given that much money. Uh, and only it, it was only after his what this is his third season at MSU. Like maybe you, you should have waited to see what the guy could do without a Heisman level running back before just like throwing the kitchen sink at him. But you know. Um, he's only the highest paid employee in the state of Michigan. <laughs> so who no. cares? Yeah. Good times. We'll see how it goes. I've been, uh, uh, I mean, tons and tons of cyberpunk, uh, cyberpunk edge runners came out on Netflix and it's the best show I've watched in so long. I got done with it. Uh, went and watched some reviews and reactions and just realized I just wanted to watch it again. So I just watched the whole thing again. I've been listening to the soundtrack like nonstop. Um, it's just so freaking well done. Made me go back to the game. I've been, you know, freaking playing the game like freaking crazy now because it's just got me in the mood. The game is awesome. Um, you know, it's 2022 and 2077 is actually good now. Um, they've made a bunch of changes and they made a bunch of tie-ins for the, um, for the show. And yeah, um, it's, it's just, I, I don't want to spoil it for everyone. Just go in. It's an anime. Uh, it's beautiful. It, uh, all the locations are based on the same locations in the, in the video game. You can go to all the locations. They're just stylized so beautifully. Um, and then the music, uh, most of the music is actually straight from the game. Uh, there's a couple of original scores. Um, they've got an amazing cast. So I was watching it because I, I play uh, Cyberpunk, the TTRPG. I play, you know, Cyberpunk, the, the video game, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm all in. This was for me. I, I figured it was just a little niche, you know, thing, and I, I would get a kick out of it. Uh, the third er- episode, freaking Giancarlo Esposito comes in, and I realized, like, they put some fucking budget into this thing. Like, they actually fucking gave a shit. Like, this is, they are actually going fucking hard. Like, this is not some little fuck around, piss around, you know, a fan service freaking ad. They put a real fucking story together with real fucking characters that you really fucking care about. Uh, friggin', uh, episode six, everybody's talking about it, it's one of the best episodes of television. Um, and then, yeah, episode ten, cried like freaking crazy, had to watch it again, cried again. Um, yeah, it's, uh, currently got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 97% uh, audience score. Um, it's legit, like, I'm not just, like, fangirling, uh, this is absolutely fantastic. So, this isn't a recommendation, but there was one thing that I didn't quite get to that I really... I already shared this with you because um, I think it's so funny and so stupid. Um, but uh, Elon Musk, a few weeks ago, he he tweeted out um, a major Fed rate hike risks deflation. Which okay, Elon, this is this is uh, that's that's directionally true. Sure. Um, like yeah, I you can have calms with this. Whatever, I'm not picking on Elon here. He can say that, and it is within the bounds of discourse. <laughs> in the replies to this, Peter Schiff, who is, uh, well, I would call him a hack economist. That might be a very... Uh, I, he's he's Robert Reich, but from the right. From the Austrian libertarian yeah. right. He's, um, he's the person who said we were going to have you know hi- hyperinflation back in 2008. So that worked out well. And the buy all the gold thing. in the whole world. Gold is he, now worth less than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, he, he replies to Elon here um, that actually, quote, it risks hashtag hyperinflation, higher debt service costs, a severe recession, exploding federal budget deficits, and collapsing asset prices will produce a worse financial crisis than 2008. The Fed will respond with massive quantitative easing, taking the dollar and sending consumer prices soaring. 
Also, you should buy gold. Um, also, you should buy gold. <laughs> stubbing your toe causes hyperinflation. No, this, this is just absolutely wild. It's just like, yeah, the Fed raises interest rate, it's going to cause hyperinflation. The Fed lowers interest rates, it's going to cause hyperinflation. The Fed does nothing. Well, right now we have uh, inflation. It's going, to cause, it's going to spiral into hyperinflation. It's like, sex causes hyperinflation. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Peter Schiff has never <laughs> seen a policy that he didn't think uh, caused uh, didn't, didn't cause hyperinflation other than just like abolishing the Fed and buying gold, I guess. Yeah, let's just go. Yeah, Bretton Woods. That's the only thing that didn't cause hyperinflation, except for all the hyperinflation that happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of uh, what I have been up to and what I would like to leave people with, uh, last Sunday, the reason why we did not record was not because we were mourning the death of some British monarch. Instead, it was because I was uh, somewhat unexpectedly restoring the roar in person in Detroit to see them win their first game in which they were favored at home by, by a little bit uh, against the Washington Commanders, formerly the football team, formerly the Redskins. And we got to see them beat those former racists hard in person by nearly double digits. And it was amazing. Um, the fight in Dan Campbell's are, I think, 13-6 and six against the spread now since he was uh, put in charge. And, uh, yeah, this, this team, I still don't think they are playoff caliber, but they have been putting up over 30 points a game, playing great, entertaining football. They had a crushing offensive line where they are nearly averaging five yards per carry before contact, which is absurd. Um, even, like, any two-game sample size to do that is ridiculous. Um, and Jared Goff, he's not very good, but he's getting – he's moving the ball. Um which is what he needs to do. Um, and Amon St. Brown, who, who I love him. He's got so much fire. He was like the 16th wide receiver taken in the year. He was drafted last year. He has most of the Lions records. Um, one thing he did on Hard Knocks that clearly motivates him is he just listed every single uh, wide receiver that was taken before him with like some real shade saying like, basically what are these guys <laughs> up to? Um, but actually I want to find, I want to find the quote he had because this is great. This is what he said. He said, the commander's got a guy before me over there. I believe his name is Diami Brown. I don't know how many catches he had. You can probably tell me that. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, that wasn't the full quote. Um, oh, I can't. Where's the, why did they quote? Cut the, he felt like the best part, which was like, I didn't see what he's up to. I guess he was busy over on the sidelines to catch or something. Like, I just love the absolute shade coming from this dude. What what an absolute beast. He's not the fastest guy, um, but he's just, like, unbelievably crafty. He always seems to get open. Um, he's just – you can tell he's going to be really – like, you can see why he fell so long in the draft, but also, like, why he is just this hyper-motivated, shifty individual that just – I think he's had, like, eight consecutive games now of, like uh, – 60 yards in one TD in all those games, which is absurd, especially for someone as young as him. But, um, yeah, uh, here's another little thing I can – I well, oh, and, and the, the other great promising line that I wanted to highlight is Malcolm Rodriguez, who was a fifth or sixth round pick this year at, at linebacker. Oh, he was also one of those guys who he was overlooked because he was like, ah, he's pretty small. You know, he plays really hard and well, and he's fast, but he's kind of small to be an NFL player at that position. Well, guess what? It turns out he is really freaking good, too, and it looks like he should have been probably taken in the first round with the way he's playing. 
Um, he's been just like flying around the field, making all sorts of tackles, covering well. He is the best lines linebacker they have had already through two weeks, you can see, since probably DeAndre Levy like almost a decade ago. And um, it's just really fun watching this team. And I still don't think they're their playoff caliber, but it's uh, they're going to be a fun ride this year. I can tell. Glad to hear it. I'm excited. Restore the board, baby. Hope they continue to do well. See you guys next time. Yep. Take care, everyone. Restore the war.